Would you join me in praying? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this text and the warning and the invitation to be in a real relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and help me communicate with clarity the truth that you want to be told. Would you make my words your words? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Chris Breton, and I'm the director of student ministries. And basically, that means that I have the best job in the world because I get to hang out with teenagers and help them trust and follow Jesus more. Shout out to all you people right there. There you go. Awesome. Uh, well, hey, we are, we're in our third iteration of this sermon series, Living with Expectation in this season of Advent. And so we've looked at hope, and last week we looked at salvation. And, and so just to catch everybody up, if you weren't here last week, uh, Mike shared some, some really good things with us. The first thing and the truest thing is that Jesus is our salvation. There's nothing else. There's nothing else that we can do to be saved. Jesus is it, and it is lived out in a real relationship. Our salvation is lived out in a real relationship with Jesus. And he asked us um, in closing last week, he asked us this question. How am I preparing myself for Jesus' coming? Because if we believe that the scriptures are true, that he really is coming back again, how are we entering into this relationship with him? How are we preparing our lives for his second coming? And so today we're going we're gonna to talk about that. If you could think of Mike's sermon last week as, as part A, and, and this week part B, the, the walking it out portion, that would be really helpful for you um, this morning. I just want to uh, show a couple things to you. First off, you have this little uh, doohickey thing in your, in your bulletin, and, and if, if for whatever reason um, I am not clear this morning— this is your takeaway. This is the main point, and we'll get to that uh, in a second. But hey, I don't know about you guys, but um, I've been really busy recently. Uh, November was like un, uh, any was unlike any November that I had ever had before. Um, I traveled 15 out of uh, the 30 days. There's 30 days in November, right? Okay, yeah. To take minus one or two. Anyways. Um, and so I was traveling a lot for work and, and for rest and training, and um, I basically ended up working my, my whole week into two days. And what ended up having, having to happen was I had to tell people that I, I cared for dearly that I couldn't meet with them. Or something would come up and I would say, hey, you know what, um, I'm too busy this week, but I'm available next Wednesday. I've got time next week. Can we go ahead and schedule it in on the calendar? And, and after a whole month of this, I realized how many people I've, I've had to say I'm sorry to. Some of you are in this room. I've realized that um, even in communication with my wife, there were things that were left undone at our house because I was running, running, running for all of these good things in the name of busyness, in the name of doing what I thought was right. And I think if you're like me, if we're all being honest— We've probably had the same question that I've asked myself, which is this. 
is the rest of my life, is it going to be titled, sorry, I'm too busy, I'll catch up with you next week? And I think if, if we're all being real, we've asked ourselves that question before, especially in this season. I've got to go to this Christmas party tonight and this Christmas party next week, and I've got to shop for this person and that person, and we've got family coming in town, and we have to go to this place. And we can very quickly rush through the Advent season without ever having to reflect on the current state of our heart. We're busy. We're busy running our kids around to their activities, which are many. We're busy pursuing our profession, working well over the agreed upon hours each day. And and I want to stop here and read a survey that I recently came across. If you're a parent on the student ministry uh, communication email, you've read this, but uh, most of you aren't on that. So I want to read this for you. A study of 1,000 young people in 3rd through 12th grade asked kids and teens this question. If you were granted one wish that would change the way that your mother's or father's work affects your life, what would that wish be? In a parallel study, more than 600 mothers and fathers were asked to guess what their children's wish would be. So what do you think? What would your kids want most from you? Got an answer? Well, okay. Heard a little mumbling, but... Did I hear presents? Uh, most parents, <laughs> presents or presents, most parents guess that their children would wish for more time with them. They were wrong. <laughs> Results are in, and that was a lie. Only 10% of children made that wish about their mothers, and about 16% made that wish about their fathers. So what did kids actually want? Most children actually wish that their mothers and their fathers would be less stressed and tired. I think our busyness has, is, is beginning to bleed over into the way that we parent, the way that we are when we get back home after a long work day. So we're busy chasing friends who probably don't want to be our friends with gifts, gossip, and games. We're busy with our sport that requires three hours of practice every day after school, and then we go home and we do homework until midnight, and then we wake up and we do it all over again. We're busy. We're busy on our phones, missing the world pass us by because we can't get off of our screens. We're busy for the sake of being busy because we think busy is actually productive. And you know it's bad when people talk to you like this. Some of you are in this room in my own life. I know you're super busy, but I was wondering if you had a chance to get together soon. I know you're super busy. I don't want to live that life. And I think we're all in the same boat. Do we want to be so busy that we can't sit down and have a real conversation with somebody who might need your help? And so we're living these busy lives. But check this out. What if God wants to do a transforming work in us right now, but we're too busy for it? What if God wants to transform our family this Advent season, but we're so busy with Christmas, we can't take time to reflect on the reason why we're busy for Christmas? 
And so if you would with me, we're going we're gonna to look at this issue of busyness. I think God's word has a lot to say about it. Um, Jim beautifully read for us uh, Luke 3, and that's where we're going to be. It's, it's on page 858 in my Bible. I would love for you to, to follow along with us here. And so again, the main point this morning that I want to make, and it's on your insert, is we've got to be before we bear, and we've got to bear out of our being. Be before you bear and bear out of your being. So the danger of this text is if we just pick up in verse 7, where we read out of today, we miss all of the context that Mike gave us um, in verses 1 through 6. And so I want to summarize basically what what Mike was preaching on last week um, and go to verse 2 for us. So verse 2b says that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And what we know about John is that he was living in the exact way that God had called him to be because John was with God. He knew God's word. What we know about John the Baptist is that he was a part of a a sect of people who loved God's word and they knew the Old Testament like the back of their hand and they were awaiting a Messiah. And so John discerned in in the Holy Spirit that he was the one who was going to prepare the way for Jesus and his role was to go out and preach to the people of God, to call them into repentance. If, if John the Baptist never was with God, he would have never had his purpose for God's kingdom. And so we have to start there. We can't just go and get busy doing stuff for God. We've got to start being with God so that he can inform us on what we're supposed to bear and do. Think about it like this. We, we all own cars in here, right? Some of us motorcycles, but the the principle is true. We have to do preventative care on our vehicles. I can't tell you how many college college students I've come across who don't change their oil for eight to 10,000 miles. Your engine is going to blow up. Stop doing that. Don't do that. You've got to change the oil. You've got to refill your windshield wiper fluid because there's going to be bugs and there's going to be things in this life and we need the, the windshield wipers to get that stuff off so we can see where we're going. We need to put air in the tires so we don't stop in our journey. We need to get alignment done on our axles. And I, I don't know if that's the right term, but we need to get alignment done. And, and, and we, we need to rotate our tires because we're going to start to veer left and right. And we're not going to stay on the straight path. And we might end up in the ditch. And so being with Jesus before we ever go, for, go and do things for Jesus is a lot like preventative car maintenance. Don't wait until you're stuck on the side of the road in danger of your life before you start to be with Jesus. And so we get that context. We have to be before we begin to bear. But then where we pick up today in verse 7 is this, this hard word of warning and wrath and God's fire and fury and this, this doomsday type of of language. And, and so he said, John the Baptist said, therefore, in, in verse 7, to the crowds that came out to be baptized him, you brood of vipers, you slithery snakes, you sneaky people who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. If you have a Bible, you can underline that. If the people did that in the last service, it should be underlined already. So go ahead and underline that. That's super important in our text here. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. 
Because listen, God is able from these very stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. The warning is there. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then continuing in verse 17 about the coming of Jesus, that his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's a hard word, but it's a good word. That's a part of the good news of the gospel is that we get a warning before we ever get thrown into that. And so you can think about it as a, as a check engine light. You've not really done your preventative maintenance, not really been with God, and a check engine light comes up on your car. Maybe there's some smoke under the hood. That doesn't mean that your car is toast. It just means that there's some servicing that needs to be done on it. And you're going to have to spend a lot of money and time and effort putting your vehicle back together, and it's going to be hard work. But it's a good warning because you can still use that car. And the car has new purpose and it has new life. And that's the beauty of our faith is that at any point in time, we can come back to the Lord, even if we've gone astray for a really long time. That we can be with Jesus. It's not too late. Jesus hasn't come back yet. The promise still holds true. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to be who he has called you to be as a child of God. And so being with God causes us to ask these type of questions. How is my life lining up with his truth? How is his call on my life beginning to come to fruition? How am I personally living out the scriptures? Those are sort of check engine-like questions. Have I put the oil in? Did I, did I change it every 3,500 miles? Did I, did I put the, the windshield wiper fluid in there when I need it? the most? Did I rotate my tires this go around? So we can begin to ask these self-reflecting questions that point us to Jesus because he is our salvation. Not these practices. He is our salvation. And so as we begin to do this, we begin to see transformation because we have a God who wants and desires to transform us more and more and more into his image. But if we can't stop, if we can't be we're going to miss that opportunity to be in a right relationship with God. And so maybe you're saying, okay, I get it. I get it. God is coming back. I should be in relationship with him. And uh, there should be this evidence of my faith that I have turned in repentance and I'm beginning to show the works of my salvation, that I'm living this faith out and that I'm, I'm moving in relationship to a specific place with Jesus. He's taking me somewhere. Now, what are we supposed to do? That's what the people ask. If you go to to verse 10, the crowds asked him, the tax collectors asked him, and the soldiers asked him. They all asked the same question. Okay, John the Baptist, we get it. We're going to get baptized. Uh, We hear the warning. We believe what you're saying, but what are we supposed to do now? And John the Baptist gives a, a really straightforward answer. Do what the right thing is in your context. There could be many answers, many answers to that question. But John the Baptist knew his audience, and so the crowds, most of the the commentators on this text say that the crowds had um, more possessions and more wealth than the the average people in that day. So what does he say to the crowds? He says, hey, if you've got got two jackets, 
Let somebody have one so that they can share in, in your wealth. To the tax collectors who deal with money, collect no more than you're authorized to do so. Just take what the tax is. Don't take more for yourself. That's greedy. You shouldn't do that. And he said to the soldiers, don't use your position as a place of power. And don't, don't put people under extortion and, and, and be content with your wages. Those are the right things to do in your context. And so I started to think, what if we were there? What if Fleming Islanders or Clay Countyans, I think I made up that word last, last service. What if, what if the people of Clay County were there and we said, hey, John the Baptist, what are we supposed to do? Here's what I think he'd say. Stop being so busy. Stop being so busy and just be with God. Stop being so busy and just be with God. So once we understand that, once we're able to be before we bear, we can then move into this bearing out of our being with God. God informs us who we are in our daily times with him. He's speaking into our lives through his word. And then he's informing us where to go, where to bear, what to do. And we see that in verses 15 and 16 when, when John the Baptist tells us how we're going to do this. Because going out into the world and doing stuff for Jesus sounds really scary. And it, it's not very approachable. But John the Baptist gives us a clear word that there's going to be a helper. All right? And so verse 15 and 16, I'll actually start in, in 16. So John the Baptist answered them all saying, Hey, I baptize you with water. Because they were all pointing to John the Baptist saying, You're the Christ. You're the one who's to come. And John's like, No, 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 no. You've got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. I only baptize you with water. But the one who is mightier than I, stronger than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie, he's going to come and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When he comes, he's going to change your heart. He's literally going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that's going to transform you into a new creation. 1 Corinthians, behold, new creation. And that is going to change you. So out of our being with God, we can then bear for God. It changes us. We're transformed to do a new thing for God in Fleming Island. But it starts with being. And we have the Holy Spirit's help, who is God. And the promise is this, that Jesus will always be with us through his Spirit. So what to do? Well, let me, let me flip what I just said kind of on its head a little bit. There's other places in, in the New Testament where uh, it talks about bearing fruit for God. And I want to go um, to John 15. Um, if, you, if you have a Bible in front of you, that is on um, 902. 901, it should be. 15.5. And these, this is red letters in my Bible, which means Jesus is speaking. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever remains in me, whoever is being with me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. And the smart people, the biblical scholars on this, um, would say that the bearing fruit, I've got to find my commentator. There we go. Okay, so that the, the bearing fruit here in its context stresses that the fruit 
is produced as the people of God maintain their fellowship with Jesus. The fruit is maintaining your fellowship with Jesus by keeping his word. And when Jesus continues to fellowship with them, because that's the promise, I will always be with you by the Holy Spirit. This suggests that fruit refers to the entire life and ministry of those who follow Jesus's teaching and experience his presence in their lives through the Spirit. So be before you bear and bear out of your being. It's the same thing. Here's the call. Be with Jesus. That's the fruit. The fruit is being with Jesus. That's all we've ever been asked to do is be in relationship with Jesus. That's what the Lord wants you to bear. And as we're with Jesus, all this stuff comes up that we need to to repent of and ask for forgiveness and move in a new direction. And that transforms us to be new people on mission in Fleming Island and the whole world. So be before you bear and bear out of your being. And here's, uh, we're going to go back to your sheet here. Here's the application. All of you have a schedule here with seven days and three time frames. So I've, I've done this, um, and it excites me to do this with college students and high school students and any adults, um, because it helps us think of, am I really busy, or am I just feeling busy? And if I'm, if I'm just feeling busy, I'm not, there's really not a lot on my plate. Then we can go to the Lord and say, why am I feeling busy when I'm really not that busy? Lord, what's going on in my heart? But for, for the many of us who actually do have a lot on our plates, we can begin to fill in our average schedule for each of these areas, morning, afternoon, and evening, and begin to look at how many blocks we have available for rest. The experts say that if you're in 16 or more of these blocks out of the 21, you're overworked, overstressed, and headed for burnout, which is every teenager in this room right now, by the way unfortunately. And maybe it's you too. And so what I want to say is that we've got to pencil in Jesus, as bad as that sounds, that we would have to pencil in Jesus. But if we put it on our calendar as an appointment that cannot be missed, I promise our busyness will turn into right prioritization. And we'll begin to prioritize being with Jesus because that informs every single area of our life. Our work, our school, our relationships, our marriage, our parenting, our being a a sports person on a team, in the band, whatever it is. If we pencil in Jesus and make that appointment to show up as if a real live human being was going to be there, though Jesus really is there, I promise you there will be transformation. And so a couple questions that I have for us in in closing are this. What would God do in your life? Imagine, maybe even close your eyes. What would God do in your life if you scheduled a being moment into your schedule on a regular basis? What's the transformation look like? What's the change of heart look like? What do your relationships begin to look like? What do the things that you're passionate about begin to look like? What moments would God have for you to bear fruits if you weren't so busy? Imagine if our church, if we became known as the non-busy people who always had time for a cup of joe, 
who always had time to go out and talk about life and struggles and the reality of our circumstances. Who would want to be a part of that group? I would. But I know it's hard. We've got so many, so many things up in the air that we're juggling. If we start being with God, I promise the things in our life will take their rightful order. I promise you. And maybe, oh maybe, we'll stop using the word busy and own the fact that we're not really busy. We just might not be great prioritizers. What am I trying to say here? Prioritizers. Yes, I've used that word too many times today. Prioritization of our life becomes critical. You guys, hopefully you know what I'm trying to say. Um, And our lives will begin to transform. So I want to pray. Take this with you. Use it as an exercise to grow in faith. And if you want to have conversations with me or any of the other pastors, I'm sure we'd love to help you find time to be with Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise to be with us, that we're not doing this all alone. In fact, that's, that's the wrong way to ever think about our relationship with you. Lord, you're helping us. You're moving us. You're transforming us. Help us to get to the place in our lives where we can be with you on a regular basis. Lord, we need you. We need your help. So come, Lord, and help us be all that you have created us to be. And this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now remaining in a mindset of prayer, I invite you to kneel if you are able. Otherwise, you may be seated as we join in the prayers of the people. Struggle bus.